I got pulled over a lot when I lived in Africa. I mean, lots of tickets. And uh, I, I wasn't quite sure why. Um, I thought I was a decent driver. Um, but I realized in Mozambique, if you've ever been there, there's a lot of uh, unique laws relating to what you need to carry in your car and what kind of stickers you need on your car. And the time I was there, you had to have like three triangles that had to be orange, one vest that had to be green, and I think a vest that needed to be orange. It was strange, but I was constantly pulled over to check on these things. And I thought I finally had gotten it right. I had everything I needed, and I was still getting pulled over. So someone who was nice enough to let me know let me know there was one final sticker that I needed on my windshield. And it was this blue sticker for a radio tax. Didn't cost very much, but if you had an antenna on your car, the assumption was you had a radio in it. And the government required a tax for that. And any time a car is driving down the road uh, and you would look in the windshield and not see this blue circle, it was like, this is a good reason to pull this guy over, and usually I didn't have something else that I needed to have anyways. So I was like, I told my wife, Lindy, I said, I'm going to go, we're going to find this sticker. And I had learned quickly that um, in Mozambique, especially in northern Mozambique where we were living, uh, sometimes it wasn't like go to the town square to the main office building, like different forms you needed, different stickers and documents you needed were kind of tucked away in different pockets of the city and village. And so I asked people, and they said, well, you just, if you want a radio tax sticker, you just go find the radio tower. So one day I drove around, and I kept hitting a bunch of cell towers, because I'd go, I'm like, oh, there's a tower, and we would drive through and find, and it would just, it'd be nothing. And so I'm getting very, very desperate, and so we stopped to fill up uh, the gas tank. Uh, and so I lean out the window, because I grew up in the Midwest, and so usually what you do when you're lost, if you admit it, especially as a male, is occasionally we'll ask uh, the gas station attendant what to do. So I, so I rolled down my window and I asked the guy who was pumping the petrol, I said, hey, you know, I need this radio tax sticker. Can you give me directions? And he leaned over to his young friend and they spoke Makua, uh, the language of the people that I was with, and they grabbed the door handles and they both opened the door and started getting inside my vehicle. Well, I was somewhat new to the African continent, so I was assuming I was getting carjacked. And so I grabbed my handle, and as they're coming in the one side, I'm scurrying out the other. And they start laughing, and they said, no, 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 no. Like, if you want to go, we'll go together. The Makua have this proverb that says, go in that direction does not mean that you go. To go means we journey together. Because the reality is, is on the continent of Africa, just giving directions doesn't always cut it. Because if you get lost, it can be a life or death type thing. And so just saying, go down here and take a turn here and take a, it doesn't work. And so in Africa, at least in northern Mozambique, they join the journey with you to make sure that you get where you need to go. And I think God gets that. That's why Acts chapter 8 is one of my favorite narratives uh, in the New Testament. Because that second call that she read in verse 29 says the Holy Spirit called, and in the English translation, I don't know what it looks like in, in your language's translation, it kind of misses it. It usually says, like, stand next to the, the, the carriage or, or walk beside it. The Greek word is kalao, and if you look up kalao, it's like to cement yourself, to stick like glue. In my mind, that's what I imagine the Holy Spirit is calling. Go and stick like glue to this Ethiopian. Go and join the journey with this African and, and journey together. And, and you know what? I think maybe it's because uh, I, I grew up in the area where we used felt boards in Sunday school class. 
And I don't know if it was why uh, Mrs. Bortness, who was my Sunday school teacher, made it happen so quick on the felt board. But the reality was, if, if he was taking him from a passage in Isaiah and you know, was able to share the whole uh, grand narrative, the arc of Scripture, and talk about Jesus, I doubt it was as quick as it happened in Sunday school. That like He joined the journey, you know, gave him a few pamphlets and tracts, and just kind of moved on. The reality was he joined the journey. He went with him. We don't know how long that took, but I imagine it was probably several you know, miles, several days even, that he kalaoed, that he joined the journey. In the world today, there are more people than ever that are on the move. 260 million people are international migrants, meaning they have crossed a border. 260 million, that means if you put them all together, it would be the fifth most populous nation in the world. A few million more, and it'll be the fourth most populous. And then if you're talking about internally, internal movement, where people uh, you know, leave the countryside and go to an urban area, or vice versa, or they move from the southern part of the country to the northern part of the country, best estimates were talking like that one in seven people in the world is on the move either internally or internationally. And there's been this huge rise when it comes to that. In 2003, they did a study and they said, by 2050, there will probably be 230 million international migrants. There are 260 today. They were way off. The new estimate is that there will be 405 million internationally displaced, uh, internationally migrant people by that time. And what I've been amazed at is I've worked alongside and, and kalaoed with and joined the journey with people on the move is that they don't want a map, they don't want directions, they want people to join the journey. I think it's interesting when Philip walks beside, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian looks and he says, how can, how can I unless someone hot the gale, unless someone guides me? Not give me a commentary, not give me a lesson, but join the journey and become a guide. So when I came home from Africa, not because I got too many tickets or anything like that, it was another reason altogether, um, I came back to Logansport. Logansport is, in my opinion, the center of everywhere, but in probably most opinions, the center of nowhere. Um, it's this little tiny city uh, outside of, kind of in between Indianapolis and Chicago. Uh, nothing really uh, that important about the city. It's about 18,000 people. Um, however, we have Tyson Pork Processing, Hormel Bacon, and Indiana Meat Packers. So if you like any pork products, they probably came through my town. So now my town is important for a lot of people in the room. But, but because, of, be, because of, of the agricultural business, because of pork farms, pig farms, and pork processing, uh, our city changed dynamically around the turn of the millennia. From 1999, we had about literally 99.3% Anglo. So we didn't even have a large African-American community. It was just pretty much all white. Jump ahead to today, 2018. One in three people in my city is an immigrant or a refugee or in an immigrant or refugee family. That's a pretty dynamic change. We went from being not diverse at all to the fifth most diverse school district in the whole state of Indiana. You can imagine that's a radical change for a community. And if you're a pastor or a leader in a local church, you can also probably imagine that sometimes we in the church don't necessarily keep up with the dynamic changes that occur. Um, the church I would go to, I went to to close it. 
Because about when that change happened, it was a, it was a white church, and they, they tried to plant a Spanish-speaking church inside the church, uh, but just due to a lot of circumstances, especially a lack of kind of cross-cultural knowledge, uh, there was kind of more separation and more broken relationships that occur. So by the time I showed up on the scene, the Spanish-speaking pastor had left years ago. Uh, the English-speaking pastor left uh, a few months before I showed up. And there were only about 23 people there on the first Sunday I was there. Um, three of which was my immediate family, two of which were my in-laws. And so there weren't that many people. Um, and I was just there to close it, so it wasn't like it was that hard of a goal to accomplish. Um, but sometimes our plans aren't Jesus' plans, right? You know, sometimes, sometimes Jesus, in fact, most times it seems, Jesus likes using the foolish, the small, the weak, the broken, the hurt. I think, and this is outside of the scope of the topic today, but if you are called to be in a small church, don't believe the lie of culture that even in church things, it's this trickle-down mentality that it's like the big, financially stable, amazing churches, and there's a trickle-down to a smaller. Sometimes the innovation starts at the bottom and works its way up. It's kind of a two-way street. And so, so God seemed to be doing something um, at the bridge when we showed up. And, and what he seemed to be doing is... He, he put in touch with Lindy and I people in the community, immigrants. And it seemed like time and time and time again, the question was, can you help us when it comes to documentation? And so I wasn't trained as a pastor when I was at Asbury Seminary. I wasn't an MDiv student. And so sometimes I feel um, really undereducated uh, when it comes to trying to be a local church pastor. My assumption as an outsider was what pastors mostly do is give direction. Like, you give directions, here's how to have a relationship with Jesus. Here's how to have a healthy marriage. Here's how to raise good kids. And so it's constantly giving directions. Here, oh, you need food? Here's where the food pantry is. Like, you need help with your utility bill this winter? You know, you go here to receive the help. So that was my assumption. So when people said, hey, we need help with immigration, my assumption was, we're a diverse town. I'll just tell them where to go. You know, what street? You know, here's the building you go to and you can receive help. What I found is a lot of times when it comes to marginalized people, when it comes to people on the move, when it comes to the other, there aren't always services provided for them. There are these huge gaps um, that exist. And so what we found in our city was there was no really to turn. It was you can drive two and a half hours to Chicago and hopefully find someone, or an hour and a half south to Indianapolis and find someone. About that same time, uh, we learned that there was this program and if you want more information about it, just see me anytime. I'll be here the next couple days, and my time is your time, so don't feel bad about ever interrupting me. Like, I want to help others go through this same journey. But what we found was the Department of Justice opened up a pathway during the Reagan administration that if you were a nonprofit and you would get training in immigration law, you would show competency by passing a test, you would get experience in immigration law, you can open an immigration legal services office. I know that seems crazy. I mean, none of my degrees are in law or anything like that. I was an intercultural studies, biblical studies guy, but I was like, well, if no one else is going to help, if no one else is going to kalao, if no one else is going to join the journey, then why not, why not us? And I'll tell you why not us. The church was dying. <laughs> they couldn't pay a pastor. They had no staff. Their facility was falling apart. I don't, I'm not bilingual. I only speak English. And so there was all these reasons why to say no 
But there was the Holy Spirit saying, go up and kala'o with these immigrants. And the reason why I think Jesus showed favor to us, the reason why we became one of the first local church-centered immigration legal services office in the nation is because whatever excuse you might be thinking of right now of why you can't do this, Jesus already cleared that excuse from the table when he chose us to do it. Because you can never say my church is too small. When we decided to do it, I think we were running 12. You can never say we don't have enough money. We had none. The facility had leaky roofs all over the place. He loves choosing the most foolish. Sadly, uh, people have heard our story and they've written about us in different publications. And before calling, I always encourage you to call before you visit churches. Um, Pastors took their vacation to travel to the bridge. And every single one has been so disappointed because in their mind they thought there was this amazing, and it's like, no, that's not how it works sometimes in the kingdom. Like, this is just who we are. We're this this small church making a big impact, but it isn't what you think in your mind because Jesus loves using the small, the weak, and the foolish. And so we've had the privilege since we opened in 2014 Uh, We have now done consultations, individually met with over 1,700 immigrants from 72 different nations. Um, We have seen successful cases from 698 different immigrants. I've trained over 150 other church leaders. I run a network of 18 uh, Wesleyan denominational local churches that have legal offices. I've been in countless school systems doing trainings. The door has been open for us just to make a huge impact all over the place because we were willing to kala'o with people on the move. My very first client um, was the victim of domestic violence and sexual assault. And uh, that's called a U visa. There's a way forward for victims uh, in our country. And it's a long pathway, though. It's taken uh, a full five years for us to move from that initial petition uh, to the place where she got work authorization and now a green card. And I can tell you as a pastor, I can't think of a better seat than having a front row seat of Jesus taking one of the most horrific things that could ever happen to someone and redeeming it. And I have walked beside this family as God has taken this horrible thing and yet he has restored this woman, he has redeemed this situation, and she now has a pathway forward. She talks uh, often about how in immigration, if any of you have ever dealt with it in our country, you get a lot of notices from the government They're usually just on white paper. They're just copies of notices of action saying, we received your paperwork or we need something new. Well, usually when they make a decision, they kind of put it on a little bit thicker paper and it's a little green. And it's fun hearing her tell the story of always opening the mail from USCIS uh, and just seeing white pieces of paper and finally seeing a green one and literally running into her neighborhood in our city waving this green piece of paper and telling the good news to all that would hear it that God had redeemed this situation and given her a pathway forward. And I get a front row seat of seeing Jesus do that. I can't tell you how how exciting and joyful it is when, when immigrants come to me and refugees and they have been separated from whether it's a parent or, or a child or a spouse for years, and all I know them on, all I know them by is a name on a form on a piece of paper. 
I've heard stories about them. I've done things. And finally, when they come into the bridge, and for the first time, I get to meet the real person and, and, and the joy of them saying, you know, we have been separated for six years, for three years, for ten years, and finally, look, this is my husband. I've had the great privilege. I don't know if you've ever realized, but we have a million dreamers or DACA recipients. And all of them, what that means is they came to this country at a young age, and so this is home for many of them. But when you think about it, for most DACA recipients, it wasn't until the standard rites of passage in our culture that you realize you're different. Because you grew up going to school, and you might be bilingual, but, but usually you're very proficient in English, all your friends are very diverse, but all of a sudden your friends go to get their driver's license, and you can't. They go to get their first job, and you can't. They go to apply for colleges, and you can't. And because of DACA, we have literally walked through most of our clients. We've had a few hundred DACA clients. And I think DACA recipients are some of the greatest people. They're my heroes. They have taken what is very little, and they have done so much with it. And helping students go through school and, and go to university and graduate and become leaders in different fields. And I got a front row seat at that. Everywhere I go, I like sharing I'm a pastor and an immigration legal representative because the conversations that ensue are usually ensue are pretty, pretty spectacular, especially when I get picked up from airports and get an Uber driver. I can't tell you the number of immigrants who drive Uber who are on speakerphone within two minutes talking to a friend or a family member and are working through their case on the drive to the hotel, and it's been so fun. And so one time I was in a coffee shop, um, and I was talking to uh, a person about opening a legal office. And a gentleman behind us kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he said, wait, wait, what do you do again? And I kind of shared with him. And he said, look, I'm from Jordan and I came to the United States to get my pharmacy degree. Um, and I didn't know Jesus before that, but while I was in school, I met Jesus and I took a job here and we started an Arabic Christian church in my city. The problem is we don't have a pastor. Can you help with that? And I can and so I was able to say, like, yeah, let's join the journey. And so we helped bring a pastor from Egypt uh, to pastor uh, this, this awesome congregation in northern Indianapolis that has people from, like, 12 to 14 closed countries. And let me tell you, my little church, The Bridge, would never have an impact, we would think, in, in, among Persian people and Arabic people, but because we kala'o with people. We have this global impact into areas where we could probably never go ourselves, but people that are on the move can. And as we join them, we can as well. My favorite, my favorite client uh, became one of my best friends. And he actually has a friend, I think, here today. His name is Dysok. And when Dysok came into my office, um, I'm, I'm still have to, uh, I still have a cultural lens and a perspective, and so I make mistakes all the time. And so because he was brown, I, the staff started speaking Spanish to him. And Dysok's like, I'm from Nagaland and, you know, Northeast India. What are you guys doing? And I was like, oh, please forgive us. Like, give us a second chance. Like, what's going on? Um, and he was a religious worker. He was on a religious worker visa as well. And we've walked through four years of kind of helping him and his wife get green cards. But what makes his story amazing is the movement of God in his life. So um, he came, uh, he and his wife came uh, to get... Uh, uh, masters and doctoral degrees at universities in the United States. They're both brilliant people. Uh, they lead a school uh, back in Nagaland. And so their intention was always to get educated and go back. 
But while he was in Philadelphia and Detroit and these larger cities, God gave him a burden um, to maybe the local church in the United States. And so he felt called to be a pastor here for a time before he would return. Now, the reality is, in his mind, he's always been in larger urban areas. So when he was put at a church in Logansport, city of 18,000, but he's in the cornfields. He's outside of Logansport in the county. It was like, God, what are you doing? Like, these are all white farmers, and they've never been around a person of color. What am I supposed to do here? He starts looking at the history of his church. Over 100 years ago, a pastor left as a missionary from Miami Baptist Church in Logansport, Indiana, to Nagaland. He'll tell you Nagaland and correct me if I'm wrong, that I think there's a, a pastor from Nagaland. He always says it's 100%, but, but there's so many believers over there. And the Great Commission, because migration is from everywhere to everywhere, has circled back. And now he always likes to say, Dysok says, I sit in the same seat. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they got a new chair by now. But, but I sit in the same seat as this pastor, and I get to serve and lead your people on their way, on their journey back to Jesus. My call today is that you will kala'o with people. You have to be intentional about it. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what ethnicity, the color of your skin, the language you speak, we gravitate toward people like us. And sometimes they're a different color, but usually that means they might be the same educational level or they might be the same economic level. We have to be intentional about kala'oing with people on the move that are different from us. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. The highest value the bridge has is being uncomfortable. Literally, it's not doing things with excellence. It's, not, it, it's being uncomfortable because what we have learned is the more comfortable I get, that meant I led out of assimilation and paternalism. The more comfortable I get with a worship service, the more uncomfortable my best friend Nico got. But it goes both ways. The more comfortable Nico gets, oh, that was the best worship set ever. I was like, ooh, that was like, the... and so we've learned that if you want to kala'o with people, you have to get uncomfortable. You need to start asking your question things like, in our family, we say, who has refrigerator rights? And by that we mean, there's always people that just walk into your house, at least for us, unannounced, and just like go right to our food, and it's like, who's, who's even here? Like, Lenny, did you, did no one? It's like, who are those people that are that comfortable with you, that, that you've joined the journey, you've shared life, not just the gospel, but your very life, as Paul says, to the thus Lanaikan church. Like, who are those people that have refrigerator rights? Do they only look like you and think like you, or are they different from you? Jesus calls all of us to kala'o along life's journey with others. So, one of the people I work with uh, recently moved to another city, and his wife, who uh, used to work in a hair salon, decided she wanted to go back to work um, cutting hair. But she didn't want to start a salon, she didn't want to join a salon. She thought, like, what if I just kind of did it kind of out of my car, where I could go to people where they are uh, and, and kind of just cut hair there. So they were like, well, we'll just do that. I don't know if you realize this. They didn't until later. But if you're a Muslim woman, you can't remove your head covering at a public salon. And so what this lady found was that by being this mobile beautician and being able to be on the road, there were so many Persian women and women from Turkey and other places that started befriending her and saying, hey, can you come and do this for me? And the next thing you know, she's invaded to baby showers and weddings, and, and she's 
like ingrained in the fabric of this community that she never would have been able to except she was open and willing to kalao. So now this family who realizes the husbands aren't going to step foot in a church, but what if we just had church at home? What if we invited people over and we started sharing life as families together in a way to start building relationships and seeing what Jesus might do with it? So what about you? Who are you kalaoing with? As a church, how can you start things that will help you build those relationships? For some of you, it might be taking a leap and starting a legal immigration services clinic. For some of you, it might be ESL classes. For some of you, it might be homework help or citizenship classes. For some of you, it might be doing advocacy. For some of you, clawing might end you in jail. And that's okay. Because we do it for the sake of the kingdom. And so we journey with people along life's journey. So before I pray for you, here's what I want you to do. Will you just think of someone right now that might be different than you? Maybe you drop your kids off at preschool and you see that family, you don't even know their name yet. Uh, maybe it's someone that you, you go to the same gas station all the time and there's that attendance. But is there someone out there that the Holy Spirit might be giving the same call to you that he gave to Philip and say, go walk beside, go kalao, go journey with that person? Just think of one. Because the reality is, if we don't start somewhere, we're never going to get going on the journey. So today, as you think, maybe 10 seconds before I pray, will you audibly kind of lean over to the person next to you and say, I really feel like I'm going to go out of my way to Kalao with Dysok, or Quilla, or Abby, or Nico. Just a name of someone. Or it can be like that one person, I don't even know their name yet, and so part of the journey is going to be learning that. Does that make sense? So if you'll just take a second... Think of someone, a face that's different than yours that God might be calling you to kalao with and share that with your neighbor. Then I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, as these names are shared, I pray that you will give us opportunities to truly kalao with people along life's journey, that as you orchestrate the movements of people, we as your people will join the journey, because the reality, Lord, is getting lost in the journey can sometimes be a matter of life or death. And so we say to go means we go together. Give us opportunities to kalao with these folks and others for your namesake, Jesus. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.